All right. Thank you, preacher. Well, it is good to be here. I won't say how long I've known him. Amen. I've known him long enough he couldn't remember who I was when the first time I met him. Amen. Um, <laughs> it's like a, a young man that we have in our Bible college. Well, not in the Bible college anymore. He's pastor now. And uh, but when he was in the Bible college, I was introducing him for his graduation. I said, "I've known this kid when he used to run around the yard naked." Hey, man, as a little boy, and he just—if you ever seen a Haitian turn red? <laughs> if they could, he did. Amen. If they could, he did. And uh, but anyway. Uh, I've known your preacher for many, many years and known his dad and their ministry. And I praise the Lord for their faithfulness. Amen. To the Lord, their love for the Lord, their desire to do the Lord's will in their life. So, uh, you know, we as Christians, a lot of times we can get sidetracked into things of uh, the world. But, you know, we need to stay focused on what God would have us do. Amen. Staying focused on what God would have us do. So this morning, if you would please, take your Bible. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. And I'm going to be teaching a little bit about missions this morning. Now I'll preach at you in church, amen? But I'm going to teach a little bit about missions this morning. And uh, you know, we as Christians a lot of times, uh, we are involved in things and we don't understand sometimes all the biblical principles of uh, the ministry in which we are involved. First of all, you need to realize mission is more than just a ministry. Missions is a mandate of God. And it's to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Therefore, being a mandate, it's not a matter of, well, I might give to missions. It's a matter I must give to missions. Amen? Because it is a mandate of God. Therefore, in other words, a command of God to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. We as His children must realize also that only as a church meets its obligation to missions does it justify its existence before God. Did you hear what I said? Only as a church meets its missions obligation does it justify its existence before God. God was the first... Uh, had the first vision, still has the vision for the world. Jesus Christ shared that vision many a times, but one that you may remember is Acts 1.8. He said that He was going to make us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. That was God's vision from the very beginning. And God sent the very first missionary, Jesus Christ. So we need to realize that missions is not just a ministry. Because see, if it's merely a ministry, <coughs> excuse me, if it's merely a ministry of the local New Testament church, then you can determine whether or not you want to be a part of that ministry. Therefore, remember that it is a mandate of God. And we have to be involved in missions. It's not a choice. Well, I'm going to pray about this. It's like tithe. Tithe, you don't pray about tithing. You just tithe. Amen? I believe there's four types of giving in the Bible. There's the commanded giving. That's your tithe. Malachi chapter 3. Amen? 
then there's your abundance giving. That's your offering. That's what you give when uh, God lays somebody on your heart or give extra to the church. Whatever it may be, but it doesn't affect your life. You just give out of your abundance. But then there's sacrificial giving. That's when you give a little bit deeper and you take and dig into your pocket and you pull out sometimes the last that you have. Amen? And you sacrificially give that offering. But then there's a fourth giving that I believe is above and beyond all these offerings. And that is faith, promise, missions. You say, why do you think that's the greatest? Well, Hebrews 11 and verse number 6 tells us that it's impossible to please Him. How? Without faith. Amen? So faith is the only thing that you cannot do in the flesh. You could be here this morning in the flesh. You could have just sang those songs in the flesh. You could uh, partake in the offering in the flesh. There isn't one thing within the walls of this ministry that cannot be done in the flesh. It can all be done in the flesh except for faith. It goes beyond human capacity to God's capacity. Amen? So if we would this morning, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. One of the things that I've learned being with the Haitian people is the respect and the reverence of God's Word. I'll never forget this. We were uh, mixing concrete to build the Bible college one day. Man, we were sweaty. We were covered in concrete mud. And uh, uh, we'd been working almost 12 hours. And somebody brought us a little food. I think it was you, wasn't it, Mary? Brought us some food that day. And we were starved, but we didn't even realize we'd been working 12 hours. We'd been singing, rejoicing, just having a good time in the Lord. And when she brought the food, I remember saying to the men, Men, I want to share some Scripture from you from memory. Didn't open the book, but I opened my heart that's full of the book. Amen? And I began to share it. And you know what they done? Immediately, they laid down the shovels. Covered in concrete and mud, they stood up in reverence of God's Word. Would to God we would reverence His Word. Because see, if we would reverence the Word of God, it would change our life. It would change our outlook on life. It would show us the reality of how great a God that we have. Amen? Amen. So therefore, this morning, I ask you to stand in reverence to God's Word, not me. I'm just an old sinner that was saved by grace. Amen? Amen. On April 11, 1982. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you the win of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How in great trial of affliction, there are but, uh, 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 trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. To their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own Sales to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Father, we love you. And God, we come into your presence this morning, God, expecting great and mighty things. Because, Father, we know that Thou art the great and mighty God. And, Father, we know that You prepared in the midst of us a table with the manna from on high. Now, Father, I pray, Lord, that we draw up to Your table 
And Father, we feast upon You today, upon Your Word, upon the Spirit. And Father, may You have Your will and Your way, and we'll thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> when we talk about missions, we're talking about the heartbeat of God. Missions is the heartbeat of God. You know, uh, David, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But you know, but God's after our heart. You know why? Because God wants us to have the heart that He has. And the heart of God is missions. And you know, one of the things that I've learned as a missionary to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Haiti, and then the, uh, one of the other poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere, the Dominican Republic, I have learned what it means from the people's perspective of their desire to know the grace of God. Now, what is that grace? The Bible tells us here in verse number 1, it was a bestowed grace. Amen? It was grace that only God can give. It's a bestowed grace. You know, you ought to be seeking that grace of God in your life. Now, what is that bestowed grace? The grace of giving. The grace of giving. You know, our human nature is to hoard up. Our human nature is to, to lay up a nest egg for ourselves, prepare for our tomorrow. God said He's got tomorrow taken care of. But can we trust Him enough for tomorrow that we will give Him our today? That we will give Him out of the grace that's been bestowed? The churches of Macedonia were not rich churches. These were churches that just loved the Lord. And they wanted to be blessed of the Lord. So first of all, we see the determination of the churches of Macedonia. You said a quarter till, preacher? <clears throat> the churches of Macedonia. First of all, their determination. As we read in verse 1 and 2, how that in their great trial of affliction uh, uh, and in the abundance of their joy and in the riches of their liberality, their poverty to their liberality, you see a negative and you see a positive. Do you realize to have power, you got to have both? You can take and run a positive wire around this building, but if you don't have a negative, you're not going to have power. You can wire this whole building. You put a battery in the car, just hook up the positive side, and you're not going to have power. You have a beautiful machine, but no way to start that machine because you lack the negative side of that battery. Amen? We're fearful of the negatives, aren't we? We're fearful of the persecution. We're fearful of the trials. We do everything within our life to stay away from those things. But God does everything in our life to bring them to us. Do you know why? Because God wants to develop us in the grace that He has bestowed. God wants to build us. So what do we see? We see the church's determination. They wanted to receive the grace bestowed. And uh, look at verse 1 and 2 again. Moreover, brethren, we do you the will of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. They, they sought this grace. They desired this grace. They wanted this grace. They wanted to know uh, what it was that God had for them. I remember, uh, Mary, what's it been? Two or three years ago, we had the missions conference in Bate 5. Three years ago. We was getting ready to have the missions conference. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, this church is a struggling church financially. Our people at that time were averaging $40 a month income. But if they missed one day's work, they lost their whole month's salary. 
Even if they were sick, they didn't get paid. So these people would take and loan out a day to somebody else to replace them so they didn't lose their salary. And they would take and give that person a day's salary. So here, we are getting ready for our Faith Promise Missions Conference. Six weeks prior to the Missions Conference, the government of the Dominican Republic sold the sugarcane factories and all the plantations to the Guatemalans. The first thing that the Guatemalans did when they came in, they cut the salary of the people by 40%. They went from $40 a month down to about $28 a month. 40%. And I remember saying to Mary, boy, this is bad timing. What are we going to do? And I remember she just perked up and said, well, why don't we pray? Amen? Why don't we pray? You know, we pray a lot of times, but we don't really pray. We don't. We haven't determined that we want that grace bestowed. So many times we just pray in general. But God wants us to pray specifically. This churches of Macedonia were seeking that grace bestowed. The church at Monte 5, I went to Pastor Rishon, and him and I began to pray every morning in his house. He announced it at the church. You know what happened? The last five weeks before the missions conference, we had the church praying 24 hours a day. A group here would pray for an hour or two. A group here would pray for an hour or two. A group here. There was a prayer chain for five weeks before the missions conference. Now we've been praying six weeks. Pastor Risha and I. But five weeks. The missions conference, boy, I tell you, it was a blessing. People were getting right with God. You see, missions conference is a revival of the great commission in our lives to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And so the church just, I mean, God just got a hold of the church. Their salaries went down 40%. Missions went up 110%. 110%. You say, how did they do that? Because they determined they wanted to receive the grace bestowed of God. They wanted to prove God. They wanted to see if God was real. And I'll tell you what, they had to overcome the difficulties to receive this grace. Look what it says here in verse number 2. How that in great trial and affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. They had to overcome the difficulties. I love what the psalmist David says in Psalm 68 and 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Daily God blesses us. But do we see it? Do we comprehend that daily God blesses us? I had somebody challenge me with this one time. They said, Brother Bob, tell me what God's done for you this week. And you know what? I had to stop and think. I had to stop and think about it. He said, I want you to do this for me, Brother Bob. He said, I want you to take for one week I want you to take every night before you go to bed, as you pray, you note down everything that God has blessed you with that day. I almost filled a notebook. Things that I just overlooked. Things that I took for granted. The blessings of God. God is blessing continually. 
But we don't sin because we're so consumed with the poverty. We're so consumed with the problems. We're so consumed with the circumstances that we don't see the blessings. We think, oh, I'm consumed with living. <laughs> living isn't based upon you, it's based upon God. God's promises. You know, we have a lot of Christians that are standing on the premises of God's Word. They know that they're saved. They know they're going to heaven. They know they have a eternal security. They know, it, I mean, God has settled this thing. But yet they've not learned to stand on the promises of God's Word in everyday life. Those promises that make God real in our life. You say, well, He's real to me. He may be real to you, but has He become real in your everyday life? See, that's what these people had. They sought that. Because see, when you find the grace of giving, God becomes so real in your life that you don't see yourself anymore. You see others. You see what God can do in and through you for His glory and honor. These people had no idea what the future was going to hold. They didn't know that Paul was going to pin this down. They didn't know that it would become part of the Bible. They didn't know that their testimony would go from generation to generation to generation. But yet, out of a pure heart, a pure motive, they sought the grace bestowed of God, and God made them a witness to us today. Who's going to be the next generation's witness? That should be you and I. That should be you and I. So they they determined that they were going to receive the grace bestowed. Remember Romans 3, 4? Let God be true. And what? Every man a liar. The world will tell you, you can't do this. The world will tell you, hey listen, if you give to that church, if you give your tithe, you're not going to make it. That's the devil. Try proving God instead. And let God be true. And every man a liar. You know the greatest deception that the devil has? It's called a checkbook. You know why it's called a checkbook? Because every time you open it, you have to check your condition financially. Whether I can write a check which will bring a check upon my account. In other words, you've got to check it every time. But you put that aside and put grace bestowed in the place of a checkbook, you know what you're going to find? Abundance of joy. You're going to find the riches of liberality. You're going to learn about the grace bestowed. The church of Mount Five learned about that. They overcome the difficulties. They didn't let their salary being cut by 40% determine what they were going to give to God. They let God prove Himself to them to be true. And I know you've heard this testimony, brother. Brother Pumpkin in Kabule. Brother Pumpkin... I'll never forget this. Him and his wife and 13 children. Living in a little bit, little house, six by six, two rooms, six by six. And the kids slept in what they called a cabwa. 
And what that is, a cabaret, excuse me. What that is, it's a little hut up on uh, stilts with metal cans around it so the rats can't climb it. And they put their corn up there and they put their beans up there and they put the kids up there, amen? So the rats don't eat them. Well, Brother Pumpkins found out about the grace of God. Morning, sisters. Amen. Found out about the grace of God. And he began to give the missions. And I'll never forget this. One morning, old Brother Pumpkin had been praying for one of our home missionaries. And his family gets to eat one square meal every three days. And what I mean by square meal is on every third day, he'll buy one pound of rice and a half a pound of beans. And his wife will fix rice and beans for that day. The rest of the time is dried bread or a banana out of the garden, whatever it may be. But as far as an actual meal, one every three days. And it's still that way to this day. And that morning he was praying and God told him, you take that offering. Now you take that food and you give it as an offering. I want you to give that to a missionary that we'd sent out of the church that was planting a church on the other side of the island. And here comes Brother Pumpkin with this little brown bag in his hand, a cloth bag. He takes off over the mountain. Now they live on top of the mountain. From the top of the mountain down to where the church was was an eighth of a mile walk. Just zigzagging back and forth because it's too, too steep to climb. And I hear this rambling and carrying on. It's his wife. What do you think you're doing? That's our food for the day. It's been three days. She's going on and on and on. Ranting and raving. And old brother Pumpkin's just walking down the hill. Pretty soon it got dead, dead quiet. I turned to the church. I said, I think we better pray. They said, why preacher? I said, either she just got right or he, she just killed him. One of the two. <laughs> and we prayed and Went on and wasn't but a few minutes. Here she come. Tears streaming down her face. That little cloth bag in her hand. And she walked in and she goes, Oh preacher, I almost robbed my family of the grace of God. She said, Preacher, do I have to wait to the invitation to give this offering permissions? Or can I give it right now? I said, bring it up. We don't have a platform like this. We just got a little lectern out in the middle. That church, dirt floor even. And she came up and knelt down on that dirt floor and begged God to forgive her because of her greediness. And she offered that gift. Well, the rest of the story. Brother Pumpkin came down with typhoid fever, malaria. Brother Pumpkin had parasite on top of parasite. They were having to rent space. He had that many parasites. And we brought him home and he weighed about 48 pounds. I carried him over the mountains back to his little, ta- uh, his little hut. He had gone to another village to plant rice to try to make a little money for his family. He told me as I was carrying him home, he said, Preacher, God told me not to go. God told me to trust Him. He said, Now God's put me in a position and all I can do is trust and so here's Brother Pumpkin and I laying in his, uh, on, on his uh, uh, little mat made out of rice stubble. They don't even have a bed. I pray with him. I go home. And I send a couple other people to pray with him the next day. Well, they come back. They said, Preacher, Brother Pumpkin said that God told him to plant his garden. Brother Pumpkin's garden is pure rock. I mean, you don't go in with a hoe and hoe it. You take a big junk, you know what a Johnson bar is, don't you? With the flat plant, uh, end on it and the point. That's how you plant his garden. 
You go up there and you knock a hole through the rocks till you find a little dirt. Then you drop a, a, we would call it a a chickpeas here. Is that what it is, dear? Chickpeas. Drop a chickpea in there. Kick the rock back over it. Amen. Hope there's enough moisture for it to grow. The teens and I, we went up there and we planted all of his garden. He had three gardens. We planted them in one day. I told the teens, I said, we better pray because if it was me, I wouldn't be planting these gardens. And see, those chickpeas was his harvest from the year before. And also his food in that time. And they had nothing else. But he said, I know God told me to plant the garden. So we went home and began to pray. Mary, what happened the very next day? It rained. We had a drought for two years. Two years there was a drought. Now, we didn't get rain. Kabule, where the church is at, only an eighth of a mile. And if you, as a crow flies, less than a thousand, less than five hundred feet from his house, just it drops off the mountain like that. We're at the bottom of the mountain. He's at the top. We didn't get rain at the church. But at two o'clock every day, one little bitty cloud would come out. It was so prevalent and so precise like clockwork that everybody in Salomkari, two and a half hour walk from Kabule, we'd stand at the market and watch and we'd see this little cloud come out of nowhere. We'd hear a clap of thunder and I mean it poured down rain on Brother Pumpkin's gardens. Brother Pumpkin harvested the greatest harvest he's ever harvested. He not only took care of his family, he not only gave his missions, but he fed almost everybody in that church from that harvest. How many people are dying and going to hell because we don't have the grace bestowed to trust God in a drought of our life to plant a seed? You know, you don't have to go overseas to plant a seed. It's got to start right here. You say, well, their hearts are so hard. Take a Johnson bar, amen? <laughs> you know what the Johnson bar of faith is? Prayer. And let God knock a little hole in the hard heart that the seed of salvation might be planted. And God will water it with your tears as you pray. And that soul will come forth to be harvested. See, that's what we found at the church at Bate 5. When the missions conference ended, prayer didn't stop there. They kept praying. They continued praying. <coughs> Excuse me. They continued praying to the next missions conference a year later. They're having their missions conference. There have been two families come over from Haiti. It was amazing how God moved. And they reaped the riches of that grace. Brother Pumpkin, it was the rain. The church of Mate 5, God bestowed upon those people His blessings. When nobody else had work, our people had work. You know what our people did, TC? They didn't hoard the work. The work was given to them. They could have worked every day, all month long. You know what they did? If there was somebody that they knew that they were praying for to be saved, they'd give them a couple days of their work. Amen. That they could plant a seed 
See, there's more than one way to give. See, missions is not about money. It's about souls. Reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. Paul said this in Philippians 4.17, But not that I desire a gift. Paul said it's not about money. But not that I desire a gift. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul's desire was that those churches would give. That they could be a part of the benefit of those salvation decisions. Those names were added unto them. Added unto them. Do you realize today between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, over 6,000 souls are sitting in local New Testament churches because of the faith of people that sent us as missionaries? Believing that God was going to do a work. And every one of those souls has been added to those churches that gave. And every one of those souls has been added to the members that gave within that church to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. But you know, you can't look across the world to win a soul. You need to look across the street. Across town. You need to look at the one across the table from you. The one working across the plant from you. The one working next to you. Whatever it may be. You don't have to look far to plant a seed. They started planting the seeds. So they overcome the difficulties. They they received the grace bestowed. And they reaped the riches. But then this church had a desire. Look in verse number 3. For to their power, I reckon, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. This church had a desire. They wanted to go beyond the emotions. You know, a little bit later, you're going to see the slides of Haiti and the Dominican. And you're going to see how a God is blessed. Hey, everything you're going to see is in spite of Bob Johnston. It's the grace of God. Amen? Souls being saved. Churches being planted. I take no credit for what God's done. I just thank Him that I can be a part. Amen. He allows an old pig farmer from down by Springfield, Illinois who got saved on April 11, 1982. Called him May of 83. Trained him and sent him to the mission field. And then you look and you see what God's done with somebody who couldn't read or write. See, God taught me to read and write from this book. When I graduated high school, I graduated on sports. I had a third grade reading ability and a second grade spelling ability. You ask my wife, she says, I've gone from second grade to first grade spelling ability. Amen? (laughs) No, God's taught me. I'm not perfect. But yet God has taught me. And see, that's what the church here desired. They wanted to get past the emotional stage. They they wanted to see the grace of God bestowed. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.33, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be what? Saved. Why do you come to church? 
Hey, this is just a teaching session. Why do you come to church? You know what you mean? Daniel. Daniel, why do you come to church? Because I believe in God. You believe in God. You know you're saved? Yeah. Amen. So why do you come to church? I'm not trying to embarrass you. It's working though. <laughs> Amen. Really? You know why we ought to come to church? We come to church that we have a place, number one, to worship, but number two, to serve from. See, you need to come to worship to prepare your heart. You need to serve to empty your heart. Then you come back to refill your heart. That you could go out and serve and empty your heart. Winning the loss to Jesus Christ. Sharing that message. But you know what many people do? They'll spend a lifetime in the church and just keep filling their bottle, filling their bottle, filling their bottle. You know you can only fill a bottle so full? The only bottles that you can keep adding to are those that have holes in them. I had a gas can. I blamed my son for stealing gas, putting in a motorcycle, riding over the mountains while we were gone. He said, Dad, I haven't touched your gas can. I said, Son, I'm going to measure it. Filled that gas can up. I went to town, come back to, a few hours later, and it was down about the amount of a gas tank full of gas on a motorcycle. I said, You see, son? I told you. He said, You see, Dad? There's a hole. <laughs> now he wasn't arrogant when he said it but see that gas can was sitting outside the sun was hitting it and it was spewing on the side of this block building so about the time it hit the building it was evaporating so I never did really see where the gas was spilling but it get down to that hole and then it would stay there but I just kept adding gas to it thinking he was taking it how many of us our lives have holes in it. We come and we take in, we take in, we take in. We go home, come back, say, Boy, I need a filling again. Well, if you didn't do any service to empty out the first one, then where did it go? Where did it go? See, we come to church, Daniel, to worship and be filled. But we serve the Lord to empty out what He's blessed us with. So that we can come back to church and be filled again. And we can go out and empty out again what He's given us. You know, I taught that to our young people over in Haiti. And I have to admit, they caught on to it. Amen? And they have just done a tremendous work for the Lord. My daughter, my son, were the first members of our youth group in Savankari. Remember that, dear? And they got a burden for souls. Oh, they were faithful in church to be filled that they could go out in service and be emptied. That they could come back to church and be filled that they could go out to be emptied. They built, I didn't build it, they built a youth department of over a hundred teenagers. But if you never empty out, you become stagnant. 
The church here wasn't based upon human emotion. They had a vision. They went beyond human reasoning. The world would say it's impossible. But God says with me, it's possible. Amen? You just have to trust God and believe God. Go beyond human faith. You know what human faith is? Human faith is getting out that checkbook. And looking at that checkbook. And determine what I can do through the checkbook. You know what real faith is? Putting away the checkbook. Putting away the budget. And saying, God, what do you want me to give? You know what? It may not be a dollar. It may be your life. What has more value? What has more value? Is not your life worth more to the Lord than money? But see, if He gets your heart and He gets your life, everything else just kind of comes with it. Amen? God doesn't need our money. Look at Philippians chapter 4 real quick and I'll share something with you. Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> I preach a message called The Way, The Why, The Work, and The Wonder of Missions. I'm not mistaken, I preached this at, at uh, Tallulah. But in verse number 18 of that chapter, chapter 4, Paul is speaking about the offering that the church at Ephesus has given. And this isn't the first time, this is once and again. He has edified the church, he's told the church, he said that he's content in whatever state he's in, whether he has a lot or whether he doesn't, he said I'm content. And then he says in verse 13 that we all like, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, my dependence is not upon you the church, my dependence is upon a living God. Who uses the church? But look what happens here. (coughs) They've given. Paul says this, But I have all and abound and full, having received of the Paphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Paul said to the church at Philippi, now here's the wonder of missions. You know what the wonder of missions is? That God would even let us be a part. Paul said that he'd received of Epaphroditus the offering that was sent. Look what he says about the offering. He says here in verse 18, that it uh, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well pleasing to who? To God. When you give, you're not given to the preacher. When you give, you're not given to a, a building. When you give, you're given to God. But God uses this church. To distribute or utilize His funds to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. So the wonder of missions is that He even accepts our gift. Brother, what do you have that's worthy of God's praise like that? We don't have a thing, do we? We don't have anything that's worthy of God's praise like that. But yet when we give by faith, God takes it as a sacrifice well-pleased and acceptable to Him. 
That's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is substance? It's a tangible product. You can see it, you can feel it, you can hold it. That's what faith is in the Christian's life. Do you have that relationship with God that you can call on Him and you sense His presence in your life? But then look at this. And I'm going to finish here real quick. It's here we have the the fact that He accepts our gift. And then verse 19, now the prosperity preachers love this. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? They say you give and you bound the hands of God and He'll have to give back to you. The Bible doesn't say that. Let's put it in context. This portion of Scripture from verse 10 all the way through the end of the chapter is about missions. And God said, if you by faith will give, I will accept your faith offering. That offering to me will be a sweet smell. It will be an offering acceptable. And it will be an offering well pleasing to me. He said, but the other wonder that I accepted, greater wonder than that, I provided. That's why it's called faith promise. You prayed about it. God laid it on your heart. You give it. And God will meet the need. That doesn't mean God's going to give back to you money. But God can do things for you. Story of, of a man by the name of John Leiderman. John Leiderman got saved when he was in his 40s, right Mary? God convicted him about his tithe. He went back to the day he started giving out newspapers, delivering newspapers as a nine-year-old boy, and tithed from a nine-year-old boy up to that date. And he wrote one check and gave it to God. They went to buy his home when they got married, him and Miss Patty. You know how much God took off their home? And special loans and stuff that he qualified for, that he didn't even know he qualified for? To the penny. What he gave by faith. Amen. To the penny. What he gave by faith. But John never expected it. John wasn't looking for it. John just done it from his heart. Amen. Then it says this Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Whatever you do, keep it in context like Paul. It's all about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Reaching the lost for Jesus Christ is all about Him. Not you or me, but Him, preacher. Amen. Amen. Thank you.